You're listening to the David Bumble Networking Podcast. Very good day interviewing a lot of Cisco engineers. We discuss all things networking, CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, Python, automation, the books, the exams, the future, your career. Another long day at Cisco Live. We talk to the authors, the experts, the leaders, and people like you and me. David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, here's your host, David Bumble. When I was at Cisco Live recently, Network Chuck and I spoke to Ralph and Simon about some of the changes in Cisco Viral. Viral 2.0 will hopefully be released sometime in 2019. I don't have an exact date for the release of this product, but it's very exciting to see some of the changes that are taking place with Cisco Viral. VM Maestro is gone. There's no need to have a thick client running on your computer any longer. Everything runs on the VM. You only need a web browser to interact with Cisco Viral 2. No need for VM Maestro running on your laptop. Another big change is OpenStack is gone. They've basically rewritten the entire Cisco Viral product. No OpenStack, which means less memory utilization, less CPU utilization. Rather than having this heavy OpenStack product crippling Viral, they've got rid of that. You still have Cisco iOS images, such as Cisco ASAV images, iOS V, iOS V Layer 2 images that come as part of Cisco Viral. So when you purchase Cisco Viral, you get all those Cisco images, and they're looking at adding additional images to Cisco Viral. But the moral of the story is you get a VM, you get the application that allows you to run simulations such as Cisco iOS V and iOS V Layer 2 simulations on Cisco Viral. So you get the applications, you get the licenses, you get a lightweight application that you can connect to with just a web browser. No need to install software on your computer any longer just to make a connection to the VM. This is great. You could run this in the cloud. And in this interview, they are actually running Cisco Viral in a data center separate from where we're talking to them, and they're just connecting via a web interface. You don't have to just use an HTML5 client to access and interact with Cisco Viral. You can directly SSH to the devices in your topology. So there are multiple ways to interact with the devices. Another big thing is they have developed a very strong API Everything is API driven. So you could write Python scripts, you could write your own applications that spin up and tear down and interact with the topologies that you've created in Cisco Viral. Massive changes have taken place now in the product. We've done a complete rewrite. We've got the same virtual machines as before. Everything else is new. So we've rewritten the middleware stack that builds it all together. We've got a uh, brand new UI on top, all web-based, and really strong API-driven approach. So everything can be automated as well as we'll walk through. So the key here really is that, that we've built everything on top of an API. The API is the first-class citizen in this product. So everything that you do see here is driven or it drives the API underneath it, right? So we have also the API documentation built right into the product, as I can show you real quick here. So I go here and then do the API documentation. Um, and as you can see, the API documentation is built right into the product itself. So everything from creating a lab, authenticating, you know, adding nodes to a lab, adding interface to a lab can be driven by the API. So that is what the UI does. That is also what some uh, 
wrapper or Python bindings do for us, right? So we have like a Python notebook over here that Simon was showing in a classroom, and that drives the entire life cycle of a simulation using programming or like using a script over here, right? So we can create a lab in that script, we add nodes to a lab, we start the lab, we interact with the lab, we stop the lab, everything is being done using those APIs. Yes, I mean, with, we're in the DevNet zone, and a lot of people are obviously interested in automation and scripting. So I'm assuming because of the APIs, you could like write a Python script or something that could automate all of this? That's exactly what we do here, right? So we have a Python client library. So we go back here and go into tools, client library. And this is the documentation for this client library, which drives, it's just a wrapper around the API itself, right? About around these RESTful API calls. And as you can see here, this is pretty easy. So you connect to your controller, um, you create a lab, you add some nodes to your lab, you add some interfaces into these nodes, you link them together, you start the lab, you interact with the lab, you destroy the lab. Everything is driven by code here, right? So the API is really the first thing that we've did for this product and everything else sits on top of the API. You guys have told me offline that you did a lot of work to make it more lightweight. Some of the problems guys said is, you know, viral's very resource intensive. Yeah. Yeah, you've experienced that, Chuck? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need a huge server in my data right. center. And so, 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 as Simon mentioned in the beginning, so we, we really got, we really heard you loud and clear, right? So, and we wanted to get rid of OpenStack because OpenStack is such a complex element or was such a complex element in the entire stack with a ton of dependencies and a ton of things that were done that we didn't really use. It solves a different problem to what we're so, trying to do here. Exactly. We're trying to build a good network simulation platform. So we've gone back, we've learned from what we learned from the first version and really build a custom middleware to replace the OpenStack to do exactly what we need for network simulation, both for ease of use and also for real powerful programmability. And, and just to give you an impression, like the, the previous version, if you start the previous version and without any simulation running, any node running, it used roughly six to seven gigabytes of memory just doing nothing. So this uses 600, 700 meg doing nothing, which is quite a contrast. That's a huge change. But the big difference is that six gig wasn't just six gig gone. That was six gig of things running that made it hard to install, hard to upgrade, hard to manage, hard to use. So removing a lot of that complexity and replace it with a thin, lightweight layer makes it much simpler to upgrade, install, etc. So I mean, it's quite noisy here, but I just want to confirm, you guys got rid of OpenStack, is that right? Completely. We also got rid of VM Maestro. So VM Maestro was a Java Eclipse-based user interface that was an application you needed to install on your machine to access the system, right? Uh, everything is now driven using an HTML5 web application. And if you, if you so this is like the, the dashboard, what we call the dashboard. It has different labs in here, right? And these labs, if, if I go into one of those, so if you, if you have seen DNA Center before, so this is using components that, are, that have been developed for DNA Center. So we were making uh, you know, good use of something that was developed in Cisco that really fits the purpose here for us as well, right? Yeah, a, a pretty interesting fact about this is that we've moved away from the life cycle that was introduced in the previous product. So in the previous product, we had, uh, when you start a simulation, it creates VMs, and then when you stop the simulation, those VMs will be destroyed, right? 
So if you have things like crypto keys, if you have things like licenses that you do install inside of such ABM that depend on MAC addresses or UUIDs or other things, right? Those are all gone if you destroy, if you stop the lab, right? In this case, we do persistent labs. That means if you start the thing and you do something with it and you stop it, it will release the memory and the CPU but it doesn't release the disk, so the disks will keep state, so the virtual machine will keep state. So if you bring it up next week again, it will be coming up in the same state as it was before. So you can keep your licenses, your VLAN dad, your, your crypto keys, your whatever IPsec keys that you've created, all of that stuff will be staying the same, which was a pain uh, to use in the past, especially if you were using like smart licensing inside of a virtual machine. Uh, so that was not really possible because uh, fundamental things or fundamental characteristics of the virtual machine were changed between start, stop, start, right? So, and that is being kept the same by using persistence here, right? Another interesting piece here is that we are able to hot link and hot add new devices into running simulations, right? So we can bring up a simulation and that simulation runs and then we add more devices to it. So maybe you forgot to add a server or like a new node or something. So you don't have to bring down the entire system um, and then uh, start it up again, which can take a significant amount of time depending on how large your simulation is, right? Um, so in this case, you can hot add a device to it and then relink this thing on the fly to the existing network. Oh, so you can add a device while other routers are running like a server and then just connect it and it'll... Correct, yeah. correct. That was also not possible in the past, right? And another interesting thing that, that Simon can explain is like the entire effort we put into boot progress monitoring and like yeah. the staggering of simulations, yeah. large simulations. Absolutely. So this here is a uh, 16 router topology. We've actually imported it from Viral Ones with all the configs, all the interfaces and links. So we've got the direct import. If we launch this, this is running on a pretty big server, so it's not the best use case. But if you've got this on a standard laptop or on a NUC or on a small server, and you hit launch in the previous version, that would try and start all 16 devices at once. Often that would end up with a couple failing because it's just maxing out the CPU. So what we do now is we look at what the requirements of each device are, we look at the amount of memory and CPU available on the system, and then we'll try and stagger the launch. So for this one here, we might launch four or five at a time, wait till they're booted up, server stabilizes, launch a few more. So especially when you're doing automation or you're launching a large topology, you should just be able to join your lab, hit start, get a coffee, come back, and it's come up, and it's come up reliably. We haven't got it failing as it's gone. We, um, we also do progress monitoring, so a big part we've got is splitting out the console so we can access that from multiple directions, and Ralph will show that in a minute. But what we do is we monitor when the nodes are starting up, and we look for something like press enter to begin. When we see that, we know the device is ready to go, and we notify the user. So now you can draw a lab, hit start, come back later, and it will tell you reliably when the device is actually ready to interact with. And that's really powerful if you're doing an automation scenario. So the, the nasty question as always, guys, I've got to ask it is, is it still 20 devices is the limit, yeah? Yeah, so at the moment, the product, we've, we've rewritten the platform, the product will remain the same. So the 20 node at this current price point, CML will be the same. If you've got a current subscription, it should continue over to the new yeah, you're version. You're telling us offline that you could actually technically have many more, it's just a licensing thing? The platform actually supports a lot more. Yeah. So we are very confident that we have uh, provided a core, uh, like the core of this system is actually capable of running nodes in the thousands, right? In the, th in the thousands. I'm we pretty, I'm we pretty confident. We haven't run that yet, so. No, but, but with a single system, we were already up into, into the hundreds, like at the absolute minimum that the previous system can support. And this is just like a single, a single 
compute node essentially, right? Because that's also something about the architecture. We have a layered architecture where we have a controller and then a controller talks to compute drivers and the compute drivers drive different compute nodes, right? Right now this is a cluster of one. So we have one controller and one compute instance. Right? But we want to, in the, in the next version, we want to scale out horizontally so that we can add much more of these compute nodes underneath and then leverage like the capabilities that we've built into this architecture to actually drive four-digit number of nodes. So guys, I mean, I think you mentioned this to someone who was standing here, is what's your advice if someone wants to so-called like um, try and get Cisco to add more licenses? Is it like talk to their account manager? What should they do? Yeah, absolutely. So the feedback, yeah, speak to an account manager, let them know. That goes both to the, the features on the devices and also the licensing model. Have a chat with the account manager, let them know the market feedback. And that should help a lot there. I mean, the community can contribute to, to the success of this Absolutely. by providing feedback Absolutely, to yeah. account managers at Cisco. Absolutely. Like, we've listened to a lot of feedback here and what we needed to fix, what we need to improve in the new version. I think the similar argument can be made on the product side as well. So is it possible for you guys to show us a demo of like some something running, like interacting with the consoles and oh, stuff? Oh, right, yeah, absolutely. That was something that I was intending to do, right? And there's multiple ways to interact with the console now. Oh, okay, so can you give us a quick overview of what they are, or is that, is that going to be part of the demo? Uh, we gave a quick overview. So basically, and this goes back to the clustering and architecture question, what we do is rather than connecting directly to a device, we multiplex that, so we connect to it on the back end, and then provide multiple directions to connect to that. So you can connect in through the browsers we're about to see. I mentioned before, we're monitoring that in the background to tell when it's booted up. But then we can split that out in a number of different ways. So we can have multiple users doing it. A really nice um, example of that was actually, uh, we're giving a demo the other day. We had an issue with WebEx. Rather than trying to fix that, we actually just both loaded up the topology, the customer and ourselves, and just use that real time at the same time. So multiple users on the console and on the devices worked well, on the, the front end. Is it just from an architecture thing? You, you guys kind of mentioned it very quickly. We used to have that like VM Maestro client. That's gone now. Yes. And now we use it. You've got an eight. Yeah, good. You've got an HTML5 client. Is right. That right. So but that's, that's, that's just one option how to use the system, right? Yeah. The HTML5, the, the, the web client basically drives the API, but there's multiple ways to interact with the simulation, right? So this is like the the really quick way in the browser, get the console, do something with the console, do something with the device. A lot of users want to use their native tools, right? They want to use their secure CRT or iTerm or whatever to access these devices, right? So here's, here's another way to, to do exactly this, right? So we do have a, uh, you can secure shell to the controller, right? And then you get a terminal server. So let me do this real quick here. So we get this terminal server and I can say, okay, show me my, run, my running labs on my controller, right? I get my labs here and I can do a list of the devices that are running there. So I do see my router 84 is here on this, on this lab ID. So I can do a open uh, IP to N0 and then the line. So it's actually, oops, damn it, I have it already. And then I'm on the same device as you as you oh, see so down you, here, yeah, right? If you type in the one, it shows in the other console. That's correct. So I do the same, I do get the same output over here and here, right? And what I type over here is shown over there. So everything is multiplex. This works for consoles. This also works for VNCs. If, if this is a server, uh, like having a desktop or something, right? It also works for these kind of guys. Okay, so just to make sure I understand, on the right-hand side there, you did a pure SSH connection. Correct. And then, 
open a console port into a router. Correct. On the bottom left, you've got an HTML5 client just through a web browser. Correct. And whatever you do in one is replicated into the other. It's correct. It's all multiplex. I can do this 10 times, right? And all will see the same output. So we could be sharing labs with other people in correct. real time. Like in a learning scenario, so you can actually get to the same console and help your student, right? Or like in, a, in an interview scenario, you can actually see what people do when they are trying to troubleshoot things, right? So, so that kind of stuff, even though that you're connected to the console, which is usually like exclusive access, right? And you mentioned VNC, so is that, a, is that VNC also going through the HTML5 client? Correct. So like if I go to a different lab, uh, let me just finish this one here. So, yeah, sorry, so the, the other thing that I could do here is, uh, so the other thing that I can do here is I can directly connect to the, to the node that I want to connect to. So if I just connect to port 22, I get this terminal server, CLI thing, right? But if I know what I want to connect to, I can do something like this, right? I can go and uh, it's probably a different console. And so in this case, you're going directly to the console. Through right, see, so I'm directly on this other node and there's a ping already running on this other node. So I can directly connect to this guy without, without interacting with it. So like for scripting scenarios or where I have a, a profile that opens up, you know, 10 consoles, I can specify which console I want to connect to, right? SSH and SSL, so we've tried to make everything best practice security-wise as well. So anything you're connecting to locally to a remote server is all going to be encrypted, which is really important. And authenticated. And authenticated too, yeah. What I really like about this is, you know, in the past, and it, it, it's, you know, there's been this migration on these platforms to just using a web browser. It means that, like Chuck, in your example with your, your server in the data center, you just have to put them in the data center, is that right? and you just open up a web browser to it. Yes. You don't yeah, have to like set up right. a VPN or all this stuff. That's basically, oh, that's fundamentally also something that we wanted to change and wanted to improve, like the overall system installation and uh, deliver, the, de the delivery vehicle, right? So right now, what we build internally is a 55 megabyte RPM. So the entire thing is a 55 megabyte RPM, right? Now, if we can deliver that, that's a different question, but. Um, the OVA that is resulting from this is a Fedora core, like right now it's a Fedora core uh, based operating system underneath. It pulls in dependencies like Libbird and KVM and whatnot, Kimu. Um, so that ends up with a 750 megabyte OVA, so that's still kind of okay-ish. But, but it is not including, obviously, not including those uh, reference platform images, which are QCOW images, right? So, so we have that, those on a separate ISO that we just mount into uh, the VM when it's running. But we keep these two things apart, which means that it's also like a lot less resource intensive on storage um, or like to download new upgrades of the software because we keep those things. I, I mean, the platforms itself, they don't change that often, right? But the code, if we upgrade the code, you don't have to download the same images over and over again. Yes, I mean, just so that I can confirm this, it's still like in the past with Viral 1 where the, um, like the iOS V layer 2, iOS V images, etc., are available for download from the viral website. That remains to be seen how that is ac exactly working but because we. They are all included. That's right. They're they're all, included. all the images are included. How yes. that's going to be distributed, what the distribution process will look like, that's, that's, that's a bit up but in But from the a air. product point of view, they're included out of the box, which is a big. You don't have to buy them or find them or whatever you do, they're included as it is. Yeah. That's a big advantage. You know, you get a, a full working platform, HTML based, and you get all the yeah. images. And ideally, with the new installation, it's ready to go in hopefully only. Yeah, because installation 
was, I mean, I suppose you had feedback, guys found it difficult to install, stuff like that. So this is a lot simpler because it's just an OVA, really. That's right. And we've removed a lot of the complexity and dependency. So it's much more straightforward to install and upgrade. So hopefully you can get going in five, 10 minutes kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Breakout. Um, so, so we said VNC, right? Yeah. So let's go. Uh, let's go to this guy here, I think. What we saw over here, this is actually this desktop over here. So I can go to this console. So this is the same console as this guy, right? So that's a, that's a Linux-based server that you connect to. That's an Alpine server that has, a, that has a, uh, a desktop, right? So I can actually go here and start the VNC session into it. So HTML5, VNC connection running within HTML5, all in a browser. Correct, yep. all in the browser. Now, um, in this case, what, what I can show you guys here is that we are running this ping to the outside world. So maybe a quick word on the, on the connectivity because that was also a, a big pain point uh, of the previous product, right? So in the previous product, we needed five different external interfaces connecting to a VM, connecting to different VLANs and flat, SNAD and OpenStack goodness. I was going to say, beautiful OpenStack. So it's a different problem. So what we do now is we just have a single interface going into the box. It's just a single interface that drives everything, oh, right? Brilliant. So what we do here, we have this external connector, and that external connector, if you're familiar with VMware Workstation or, or Hyper-V or whatever, right, those, those products, they just offer you two options, basically. I mean, they, they can have more complex um, setups, but basically what they do is, do you want to NAT, network address translate behind your host, right? Or do you want to bridge in parallel to your host? And this is what this does, right? So I can go in here, and edit the configuration, and, and this, this it's grayed out, but it basically says network address translation mode or bridge mode. And if it's in bridge mode, it will show up. Like if this guy is dot one hundred, right, on my subnet, so this guy might end up on dot one hundred one. Oh wow! Okay, so in other words, connecting because that was then my next question: connecting your viral topologies to physical devices right. is possible. Absolutely, and much much simpler. Yeah, you just you just bridge. Yeah, we just bridge it out, right? So like all of these guys, they can be. They can be um, like on the same network subnet, subnet as this guy over here, right? What I also like, I mean, it, it's not something you really want to show, but I mean, there's a WebSocket disconnect, so you know when there's a problem, like getting to your, your network, which, which is, can be nice if you're like going remotely. Yeah, so conference Wi-Fi always pushes things to the limit, but what we've got is a WebSocket, so everything gets fed back in real time. Any events from the underlying system as things boot, if you're running the Python client library and adding nodes, they'll show up straight away. Multiple people are using the same topology. You'll get all the feedback in real time instantaneously from the underlying system. Um, Another nice feature that I can show you guys is, so on this guy there was a, a ping running, right? So we get the statistics on the link. So you see down there packets and byte counts, et cetera, et cetera. But the really interesting thing here is that I can run a, a packet capture right in my UI, right? So I can go ahead and could say, I can specify a filter, I can specify a packet count, um, and then start this thing. Oh, it's already running, so I start it. And I do see my ping right in my browser. Uh, so it's like Wireshark Lite or something. It's a Wireshark Lite, and that's exactly the point. We want to provide different ways to do these kind of things. Like with the console, we've shown you two, two ways to access the console already, right? In the browser, using SSH, there's actually a third way. 
And here the same thing. We have a browser-based, really quick way to show a packet capture, but we want to have like a PCAP download button here, which is the next thing, or like one of the next things we need to do to get to like the final version, right? But there will also be a third way to do that directly on your laptop, right? Like in a remote system, so to run Wireshark here and then connect to these guys uh, directly on your laptop. So in other words, you could have that in a data center and then somehow Correct. you get it running back to Wireshark locally on your local computer. So, so this this brings me this brings me to what I call like the breakout utility. It's it's a little breakout box. So what that is is we included. So, so basically, we've got everything's web-based, but there are sometimes a need to run things locally, especially to get access to the the Wireshark or the port. So, this is trying to solve that problem. So, this is like a, a little Golang binary that has a local web UI. So, you download this binary and you run this. It's nine megabytes of uh, Windows or macOS or Linux code, and you run this locally on my on, on your computer. I've run it over here. So, so this thing then creates a web UI, which I can connect to which is this guy here, right? And let me just refresh this real quick. And I provide a configuration. So I pointed to the same uh, controller like my, my browser did, right? Provide my user credentials. Again, this is encrypted and authenticated, right? So we see, we see those labs that we were interacting with before, right? So I can go into this lab here. And this has my desktop. This has my server. This has my iOS device. And I can map out ports so that I could say, this guy should be reachable on port 9000. The other guy should be reachable on port 9001, right? So I can map these out. I can save them locally in a configuration file. And when I'm happy with this, uh, I can actually launch this and could turn it on. When it's on, you see these guys turn green, right? And now I can do something like uh, new window. So I'm using my favorite tool here on my Mac, connecting to my Mac itself, going through this tunnel of the breakout utility. Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that this, this viral server is not running on your Mac. No, the viral server itself runs in a data center in San Jose. That's why we rely on the conference network. <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, that's a, that's a great thing. So you've just telneted to your local host. That's correct. But you're actually connecting to a server somewhere else. Authenticated and encrypted using this breakout box that I provide, that I run here, right? And you can reconfigure the ports without having to shut down the lab like before. So you can remap that just here, stop the, the mapping, uh, change the number of ports or what's connecting to what restart it without touching a simulation. So I just want to ask the questions that I know people are going to ask. You're not running a VPN client on your Mac? No. Not to connect well, to the server? Well, no. I run a VPN client to get to San Jose into the data center, right? <laughs> so, uh, in other words, do you, could you have this on the internet and yes. then just connect? Of course. It's just a web socket, web socket over HTTPS. And that's the beauty about the solution because we really expose a very minimal set of ports on the actual machine. We expose AD, which redirects to 443 for the web page and TLS and all that goodness, right? We expose 22 for the terminal server. And there is uh, port 1990 for low level. Like we use cockpit for uh, system administration purposes underneath. So like for storage configuration or more complex network interface configurations of the base operating system. But that's pretty much it. That's amazing. So tell, I just want to emphasize this. It's telling it to local host. 
but it's getting mapped to this like tunnel that you guys have made. Exactly. So so we map this out here, right? Magic, and then it ends up on that. Right. So and the same goes for as you can see here. We also started the VNC mapping here, right? So I can actually use my VNC tool here, and then click this guy. Oh, so you yeah VNC to local host. That is cool. That is very cool. So if I go back here. The one on the left is HTML5 browser, and the one on the right is this like native Mac. It's what? Sorry, what? It's, it's just running natively in a Mac VNC client. So VNC viewer here, yeah. Yeah, so it's VNC to a local port, and then yes. getting mapped some some yep. amazing way to the server. Through that web interface, yes. That's amazing. The local web interface. Yep. There's a lot of delay between those two. But that's great. I mean, you can see it's the same client. Now. I said, so, so this is actually like a second way to connect to my VNC connection, right? Um, and for the packet capture, as we were talking about before, uh, we want to have the same thing. That's not built into the breakout right now, but we want to be able to click on the link, and that link will then capture the packets, send it over the same connection to the breakout utility. The breakout utility will give you the ability to list out, okay, what, what packet captures are actually running and then open up a local tab interface on my Mac, or like on my Windows machine, whatever, right, that I can connect my Wireshark to so that I can capture those packets locally on my Mac, and those packets on that interface are being fed from that TLS socket from my actually running simulation over here. So that's not in there yet, but um, yeah, the day only has 24 hours, right? <laughs> it's not far to do, though. Guys, I've got to ask you this question. I know the answer. Release date, we, we, we're not allowed to say yet because it's, it's under wraps. So, yeah, so we've been... This is pre-release, so we're, we're getting pretty close. It's, conference Wi-Fi pushes a little bit, but most of the bugs have been ironed out. We've got a couple more just to do a bit more testing. We're hoping to get some field trials soon, and hopefully a few months after that it'll be out. So we don't know exact dates, but... On the engineering side, which is a big part, it's pretty close now. So I mean, we, we could hope maybe sometime this year. I know you guys can't hold you to it, but yeah. hopefully. I really hope so, yeah. Guys, can I ask you another question? Sorry, I just thought about this. And I'm going to poke you now, so sorry. <laughs> GNS3. Guys love GNS3 because multi-vendor. Yep. So can viral support more than just Cisco? So we can run anything that runs in KVM and uh, LibVirt. So basically what we've got here is the page. We'll hide that one there because we're testing out various bits and pieces. Not all the images listed here will ship. Some of them we're testing out. Um, they might not be available. But essentially if it runs in KVM, you can just add a definition. So we can create a new node definition. If we just look at one of these here, basically this is just specifying the parameters that you need to run that node. So we've just got these sitting hard-coded as YAML files at the moment. A user could create their own and this is just specifying how to run it. So the key parameters to spin it up in KVM. So you can just do basically this interface to create the, uh, the specifications we need on the server side, upload the image, and then just drag and drop it in the canvas. So we'll show you how to connect, build a network in a second. It will look at the same there. So basically, if you've got an image from an account manager for a special platform that's not currently shipped, you could do it this way. If you've got a different Linux server or something you want to put in, you could do that. If you've got another multi-vendor network image that you want to put in as well, just yeah, add it in this way here. Yeah, I had to ask the question, guys. And I mean, uh, it's a Cisco event, but Viral guys will want to use Kubeless Linux because it's Linux-based. Viral One supports multi-vendor. It will anyway. be the same here. Absolutely. So basically, everything that can be run in a VM, we can support here. I'm pretty confident, right? So we'll just walk through creating a new lab. So you hit the Add Lab button. It'll come up with a new tile. So we this is a brand new lab, yeah? Yes, yeah. So we'll start again from scratch. 
and then we can just drag and drop in the devices. Once again, some of these we're just testing out. The, the ones that we'll be shipping will be the same as today. There may be some new ones, but we're still testing out. So if something shows up here, it's not a guarantee it'll be in the final version. So we're just dragging and dropping devices in. We've got a switch, we've got a router, we've got a server. This is the external connector, so pretty straightforward. And then we just wire them together. It's just dragging onto it. We can choose the interfaces that we want to connect them on. So we can choose them specifically. Um, or we can just take the quick way and say, I just want to grab the next free interface. And what we did when we specifically chose an interface on the switch, we Ralph chose about gigabit Ethernet or interface seven. So that meant one to six were free. So if we want to drop some other things in later once we started it up, we can drag it in, connect it on the fly. So we've just drawn a topology here, showing us what we've got mapped. And we can just hit start, start it up. On the con external connector, we can choose whether it want to be bridge or natted. We don't have the full auto net kit. We just do a very basic version at the moment. Uh, we're just doing basically the interface provisioning. So just saying the different interfaces on the device, no shut. People can add their own from there. We might introduce some more auto net kit config in the future. It's where community feedback will be really important. But at the moment, we're just trying to focus on getting the basics right, and then we can increment from there. So we've got the config editor in the browser as well. And then we can start this up. That will send it off to the server. They first go into the queuing state, which is what I was saying before about the boot progress. So it queues them all up and then figures out which ones it can boot based on the CPU load. It's a big server, small topology, so they're all loaded. I want to show this one. We can see, yeah, the CPU status coming from the back end as they boot up. So their desktop and switches are pretty light. IOS V is a big virtual machine, so that's taking a bit longer to boot. We can see that as it goes. Uh, we can console in. You see the stats down here as well. Like, and there's also some things that we can modify based on this node definition. Like, Depending on the virtual machine we are running, we can modify certain things, properties of the individual node, like increase the memory or add additional disk space or increase the root disk of a Linux machine, for example. Right, That's all possible down here. So we're going to see it booting up here. And this is, again, using the multiplex console. Oh, stay on it. It might be better for the boot progress. Yeah. Well, what, what I can do, what I wanted to show here, what I thought I said before, right, is like the and now we, edit or like... Yeah. Now we can see it booted. So it did boot, yeah. So I could go ahead and could say, oh, I forgot something, so I can um, add another desktop in here while these other guys are already running, right? So I drag this new guy in here um, and I... Um, let's move this away. And hook this one up. And use one of these ports that are that are still free, right? Connect the next one. And then hit start again. So this guy is now booting up. So that just starts the devices that are not running yet. It doesn't reboot the other devices. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It just looks at what's not started and starts them up. Or you can start and stop individual devices, yep. I love the interface. It's very it's very clean, very modern. Yeah, working with the DNAC team's been great to be able to work with them. Um, had a few feature requests we've had to add in, but it, it works really well for simplicity. Really trying to make simplicity and ease of use a real focus here as well. Robustness and ease of use are our main design goals. What I find really exciting is simulation products are only getting better. GNS3 is getting better. Cisco Viral is getting better. There are new kids on the block like EVNG. The options available to us as network engineers are only getting more and only getting better. It's a fantastic time to have access to all of these products, whether you're just starting out with Cisco Packet Tracer or you're trying to do complex stuff with GNS3 or Cisco Viral, lots of options available to us today. 
So what do you think? What do you think of the new changes to Cisco Viral? Is it exciting? I think it is. Really nice to see these changes, and I'm really looking forward to the next release of Cisco Viral. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Be sure to visit David's YouTube channel at David Bumble, where you can subscribe and watch all of his videos. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Catch you next time on the David Bumble Networking Podcast. All the best. Take care.